Hello, Internet friend. I'm David Ravel, and this is ValueSide for Monday, October 9. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. Well, today, when monetary policy becomes political. Well, as we're reminded daily, we haven't seen inflation this bad in over 40 years. It was on 1980 when the Consumer Price Index reached a stunning 13.5%. Like today, the nation turned to the Federal Reserve to cure our price problems. And like today, the Fed used their principal monetary tool, interest rates, to cool rising prices. Then Chairman Paul Volcker and the rest of the members of the Federal Open Market Committee eventually raised the basic Fed funds rate by 400%, from 4.6% to 19%. Now, let's be clear. This strategy of raising interest rates works because it depresses the overall commercial activity. As rates rise, industries cut back on investment, consumers curtail the amount they purchase, and eventually prices begin to stabilize, but in a much weaker overall economy. That's why when these rate hike strategies are begun, they're almost always followed by a recession, that weaker economy. Now, 1980 proved to be a watershed year. Inflation peaked, interest rates peaked, and a new president was elected. A president who brought an all-new way of looking at the economy. Now, from the 1930s until 1980, most government officials believed that the economy must be managed by Washington. They were following the thinking of an English economist named John Maynard Keynes. It was Keynes writing and principally in his book, The General Theory, that revolutionized the role of politicians in managing our economy. Now, the book was written in the midst of the Great Depression and needs to be looked at in that light. The country was clearly languishing and needed some sort of a boost to bring it out of the doldrums. Keynes suggested that it was government that should provide that boost. Eventually, Washington would use Keynes' thinking and they would deficit spend like you can't believe. In the past, creating large social programs like the Work Progress Administration or the Civil Conservation Corps or even Social Security during the Depression. This was the golden elixir for politicians of a certain bent. At last, Washington could spend like never before and all it would do would be help the economy, according to how they read Keynes. Deficit spending for most presidents became their modus operandi. Spend, 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 and more social programs, they'll all help the economy, went the thinking. I'm sure that Keynes would actually roll over in his grave if he knew the extent to which his thinking, designed only to help during the dire times of the Depression, was now being used to drive massive government debts, something that Keynes rejected. So for half a century, this country lived under the bastardized version of Keynes, where Washington used every excuse they could to expand the role of government. But as we say, that all changed in 1980. That year, a new president, Ronald Reagan, was elected. But more importantly, he brought an all-new way of looking at the economy. Reagan was an advocate of the monetary policies of Milton Friedman. Friedman, a Nobel laureate in monetary economics, and at the time working at the Hoover Institute, a think tank located in Stanford, was the principal advocate for monetary restraint. Although their careers overlap briefly, 
Friedman was writing against an entirely different economic background than was Keynes before. Keynes was attempting to bring the Western world out of one of the deepest economic declines ever, while Friedman was addressing those issues that arose during a time of relative prosperity, issues like inflation, whereas Keynes had an issue of deflation. It was Freeman who encapsulated the single best description of inflation, quote, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomena, in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. In that one statement, Freeman clearly identifies the chief instigators of inflation. They are the nation's monetary authorities, those who can increase the money supply. In plain language, this laid inflation's problems directly at the feet of the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Treasury, the Congress, and most pertinently, at the President. Under Friedman's approach, the monetary role of the Federal Reserve is to slowly, consistently increase the money supply. So following the logic, the increase in the supply of money should never exceed the growth of the economy. Even better than their words, the Reagan administration held government spending flat for the remainder of his term, while the economy grew at between 5.5 and 11% per year. Economic growth greater than money growth. What a concept. We developed an all-new word for what was finally occurring in the country. We called this disinflation. The mild increase in the value of the dollar so that the salaries and wages of workers actually had greater and greater buying power all the time. When the 1980s ended and Reagan was no longer in office and Milton Friedman was retired to San Francisco, the nation's economy was set. Economic growth was outstanding. While we no longer had to worry about inflation, remember, we were in disinflation. Now, unfortunately, Washington immediately went back to its free-spending ways. Even Reagan's former vice president, George H.W. Bush, began pushing more and more spending, spending that has accelerated in the last two presidents, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Today, our economy is firmly in the grip of the government interventionists. Inflation began, as Freeman predicted that it would, in 2019, when first President Trump injected $3 trillion into the economy through the stimulus programs. Funds were sent directly to corporations, state and local governments, certain businesses, schools and hospitals, and families and individuals. Additional stimulus payments of $2 trillion were then made under President Biden, and that was all completed by March 31, 2022. Altogether, the monetary base in the country was increased by $5 trillion. This was by far the major contributor to inflation. But don't be surprised when we won't hear that from either of the two presidents or from the Federal Reserve or the Treasury or the Congress. None of them want to brag that they created the worst inflation in 40 years or, coming soon, one of this nation's most significant financial crises. So as briefly as possible, those are the major contributors to today's inflation. To be sure, there were other stimulus contributors, particularly the price of food and energy, both of which significantly increased in price. But neither commodity contributed as much to inflation as did the monetary base expansion. 
Now, from my perspective, there is a war on inflation, and it began on May 31, 2020. That's when President Biden invited Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, to his office. Now, the people on Wall Street raised their eyebrows. This was very much out of character for the president, and the fact that he had made it such a visible meeting was even the more intriguing. I believe that Biden was reading Powell the Riot Act. He likely said, we have to do something about this inflation. Inflation was beginning to take off, and for months the Fed had been saying this was only, quote, a temporary situation. Speaking before the Kansas City Fed the year before, Powell articulated the Fed's basic approach to inflation. Powell said, The period from 1950 through the early 80s provided two important lessons for managing the risk and uncertainties we face today. The early days of stabilizing policies in the 1950s taught monetary policy makers not to attempt to offset what they are likely to be temporary fluctuations in inflation. Indeed, responding may do more harm than good, particularly in an era where policy rates are much closer to the effective lower bound, even in the good times. Unquote Jerome Powell at Jackson Hole, Wyoming in 2021. Now, Powell was obviously listening to his inner Milton Friedman. He recognized that generally major monetary boosts, like the stimulus payments, usually pay out their inflation effects in a year or a year and a half. In other words, the most prudent course would be to see if inflation would return to normal on its own. Of course, Joe Biden would not appreciate such sanguine advice. His poll numbers were beginning to drop, and he was taking a lot of criticism in the press. Although it's speculation on my part, I believe Biden told Powell to start tightening up, and that's just what Powell did. From that end of May meeting, Powell and the FOMC have raised rates by 450 basis points. But here's the point everyone misses. The Fed has raised interest rates 2,100%, from a low of just a quarter percent to the current five and a quarter percent. Theoretically, that's how much the interest rate will rise for short-term loans. Now, this all has sent the bond market into absolute apoplexy. You may not be aware that the bond market, and by which I mean the U.S. Treasuries, are enduring one of the harshest declines in history. You see, bonds are also an interest rate vehicle, and although the longer-term bonds are far outside the Fed's influence, the Fed only sets short-term rates, bonds are starting to lose confidence in Washington's ability to manage the economy. Now, the history of the past year would indicate that U.S. monetary policy is being set when the president calls the chairman of the Fed into his office. What else explains the 180-degree turn by the Fed from, quote, ignoring the transitory to now the most assertive monetary tightening we have ever seen? When monetary policy becomes political, it's time to step away from the abyss. And that's the value side for Monday, October 9. For all of our articles and podcasts, visit valueside.com. I'm David Ravel. ValueSide is independently written and researched. The views expressed are strictly my own.